1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tomorrow marks the 30th anniversary of Arrested Development, releasing its Grammy-winning hip-hop album Three Years, Four Months, and Two Days in the Life of on March 24, 1992. I caught up with frontman's speech when the group played DC City Winery in 2019 to discuss their biggest hits from Tennessee to Everyday People to Mr. Wendell. Thanks so much for joining us, Beach. My pleasure, man. Now, there's no way you remember this because you're all over the place, but I, 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 my buddy Kevin Sampson and I, he used to be in a hip-hop group. We filmed a concert of yours down in Richmond. I think you opened for, was it Wale once? And we, we chatted at a hotel one time. And oh, I remember that. You remember yeah.
0: that? <laughs> I do. I remember it, Yeah.
1: That's so cool. but so All right, so I, I've seen that, that show. This was, God, probably like seven or eight years ago. But so what, what is this show, though? City Winery is a much more intimate venue than an outdoor spot like that one was. Um, wh- How is this show set up?
0: Well, really, we're going to do a celebration. And it's like celebrating the first album, celebrating the music of Arrested Development, but also the diversity and the, the, the brilliance of hip-hop. So it's going to be fun.
1: Absolutely. I want to go, I want to do a little bit of a a deep dive. Take me all the way back. You were born in Milwaukee, and then I think you moved. At what age did you move?
0: Well, I was born in Milwaukee. I moved to Atlanta, actually, in 1987. And then I wrote the song Tennessee because my favorite grandmother lived in Tennessee and she passed away. So we all went to Tennessee for her funeral. And in that same week, my brother passed away. So, the last place I saw both of them was in Tennessee. So, I never actually lived in Tennessee. I went there every summer. But the significance of the song was that it was the last place I saw my my dear grandmommy and my brother.
1: Wow. I feel like a lot of people, they hear that, you know, those lyrics take me to another place, take me to another land. They think of a larger, you know, social commentary on America with that. But it's awesome to say that there's a personal story there.
0: Yeah, it's both, you know. I mean, that song is so special to me because of their lives, and it was our first single, and we blew up from that single, so I feel like it was a gift from our ancestors to to, to us. So, yeah. That song was one of the easiest records I've ever written because literally as the lyrics were just pouring out of me, my thought process matched exactly what the lyrics were. I didn't have to backtrack and sort of think through it and it does that it does that sound good it was just a very natural progression and similar to what the lyrics say lord i've really been real stressed down and out losing ground although i'm black and proud problems got me pessimistic you know and then it goes on to say you know my grandma passed my brother's gone i never felt so alone you know so things like things like that
1: I just, I just, I mean, it's pretty awesome that that you can t- tell an intimate story along with the scope of that too. I mean, you just talked about your your personal. Uh, you know relationships that you're working out there, the grief, the personal grief, but then also juxtaposed with a, a larger almost you know strange fruit style commentary it's it's amazing um all right well that that was just one of like three major hits <laughs> I was off on the album three years, five months, and two days in the life you could have said three years and lots of hits in five days <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh I remember the everyday people remake too we all you know we all grew up listening to the sly and the family stone version of that when you guys sampled it, for that, I mean, what, wh- when did, how did that actually take place? Do you, I mean, did you listen to that growing up as a kid, or when did that sort of start, you know, trickling in your mind, like, oh, okay, we gotta, we gotta sample this one. I
0: actually just got into Family Stone, really close to when I wrote that song, and so it was just um, a beautiful chorus, and we really didn't sample it, but instead we re sang it. So yeah, it was different. It was different energy, but we wanted to pull that. Of I am everyday people, but related to what we were going
1: through. When you guys sing that at concerts, like like let's say it's City Winery coming up or wherever you do your shows, do you find that that one sort of connects across generations? You know, you have people in the audience that remember the Sly you know, Stone version, and then also younger folks uh, that grew up with you guys. Um, is that one of your cross generational ones where everyone in the audience is you know bobbing their head?
0: It's funny. Our show for some reason really responds well to all ages throughout the entire show. So like from the very beginning, it's high energy. It's very fun. It's not very um, introspective and it's, it's a more light fun show. People bring their friends out, they bring their family members and a lot of mothers and fathers bring their young teens and adults, young adults there, which is great. So it's like anywhere from, 18-year-olds to all the way to like 60, you know, it's, it's, it's it's just a really great celebration of hip hop music.
1: Absolutely. Well, we can't, um, we can't do the interview without Mr. Wendell. Uh, when, when did you, how did you come up with that, that little thing? Every time you hear that, it gets that, it's the ultimate earworm. That eh, 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 eh. Take me into <laughs> that. Where do you, when do you drop that in there <laughs> in the recording session? Well, that was a
0: sample from Sly and the Family Stone and, I made it go backwards, and um, I just loved it. I actually fell in love with that era of music, the early 70s, late 60s. and So for me, it was just um, another opportunity to sort of bring that energy to the present day, which, for that record, it was the early 90s.
1: Well, and talk about what the lyrics talk about, too. It's sort of that, um, you know, that... You know, it's similar to what was that Whitey Ford sings the blues, the What It's Like song, you know, the homeless man on the street kind of a deal. Why, why was it important to pen that one?
0: Definitely. Well, before we blew up, we used to hang around um, a lot of homeless people. They used to come to our studio. We would just sit and talk with them and just hang with them. And, and their knowledge, their freeness of mind and thought was so inspiring. They didn't have the confines that a lot of us have who are sort of on the grid in a sense. We work a job. We go home. We're, we're working for the white picket fence and the, whatever people are trying to accomplish in their life. They didn't have a lot of those constraints. And so they saw humanity in a different way. They saw the world in a different way. And it wasn't as systematically um, sterile. And I was inspired by their lives.
1: So in a way, you know, even though they're on hard times, uh, listening to that song, I sort of think we can, it's almost like you're encouraging us to learn from the, you know, the non-materialistic trappings. Like, we can learn from that.
0: Exactly. That song is about that. Uh We
1: definitely can learn
0: from that. I agree.
1: Absolutely. All right. So the, all it's, it's amazing. All three of those are on that same album, which, and then take me to Grammy night. You guys win not one, but two. You win by, you know, best rap performance by a group, which is a big deal in itself. But then also you guys win best new artist or what? Talk, yes, best new artist. Talk about sitting in the crowd there and <laughs> hear them call your name the first time and then also the second time. What's that experience like getting to go up on stage and realize, wow, we've made it? The world knows us now.
0: It was surreal. It was a dream come true as a little kid, I always looked at the Grammys hoping and praying that I could be on there. And, and to be honest, feeling like it would never happen. <laughs> and so it did. And it was just being there in the flesh was absolutely surreal and amazing. And even being nominated was amazing. So the fact that we won, I mean, the first time was just incredible, but then the second time was just a whole other level. Not to mention, we had won awards, because, you know, awards come in season, so we had done a number of award shows and won a number of awards during that season. So all of it was surreal, man. It was
1: a beautiful experience. And were you guys going up, uh, you were going up against The Chronic that year, right? That was the year that Dre did The Chronic.
0: Dre, yep, Sir mixed a lot of really great popular music.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, tell me, I mean, you're, tell me how your album sort of, Compared or even contrasted with sort of the style of you know let's say something like the Chronic that that was a huge deal, but you guys almost had had your own vibe to yours. I mean, I know the title was it's a, a, a reference to how long it takes to <laughs> for you guys to get a, a record contract, right? But um, but you know how, musically, how do you think it compared, and why do you think it stood out so much that you got you were able to beat those guys on, come Grammy night?
0: What I personally loved about our contribution at that point and even still is that it was such a statement that Black music is diverse, it is colorful, it's ancestral, it's present day, it's future. And so I think that The Chronic was a wonderful sonic record. And at the same time, it um, conceptually talked about a lot of things that was pretty stereotypical about black people. And we wanted to expand and push way past those horrible stereotypes about us, you know, being violent, gang members, thugs, you know, this is about the country. This is about family, marriage, you know, sentimentality and just all of those types of things. So there's a lot of different themes and a lot of different vibes on that record. And I think that's what made it stand out.
1: Absolutely, I mean, but that was—I mean—we're talking 1992 at that point. I mean, obviously, this, and the songs are still echoing in our heads to this day. But speak to what I mean—what you were just talking about. How, how do you think that message has been received and, and by your fans over over all these different years later? You know, how, how have you kind of kept that that unique angle going?
0: For me, it's my natural point of reference. It's my natural worldview, and I get so much fan mail the whole group does we get so many fans that come up to us at every show across the world i mean we tour europe japan australia new zealand canada africa i mean everywhere we go people are so appreciative and it seems to have been even more intense now because there's less of what we offered, and what we offer so yeah
1: Well, uh, just you've been generous with your time. And, I mean, keep doing it. you said, there is less of what you offer. I want to keep hearing more of what you guys offer. Final sell. Why should our listeners come on out?
0: No doubt about it. Come on out. It's going to be an amazing show. Two shows. It's going to sell out. So get your tickets today. And we have a new album. Go to our website, ArrestedDevelopmentMusic.com. It's called Craft and Optics. We're going to be doing about three songs from that. So it's going to be a fun
1: show. Thanks so much, sir. You've been generous with your time. Again, everybody, speech from Arrested Development, Plan City Winery. Thank you, speech. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.